Hey guys, what's up? This is Chris Chavez, co-host of History Creeps, Hardly Kayfabe, and Chris and Anthony Just Can't Stop. Normally, you'd hear a bumper for the network right about now. Instead, I wanted to take a moment to ask a favor. If you've ever listened to many of our shows on the network, you've heard us talk about a place that has quickly established itself as a staple of downtown Buffalo over the past couple of years. Mizuta Chow's is a Japanese-themed bar-slash-restaurant-slash-retro-80s arcade that features amazing Japanese-inspired street food, top-shelf drinks, and a glittery pink staircase that has become one of Buffalo's most popular Instagram selfie destinations. Like many other establishments around the country, Mizuta Chow's was forced to shut their doors and lay off their staff when the COVID pandemic hit. At first, they didn't let that stop them from helping the community. For weeks, Johnny Chow and his partner Christy, along with a number of other Chow's employees, worked to feed essential workers on the front lines treating those affected by the virus. They organized pop-up drive through grocery supply stores for anyone who needed essential items. The crew at Mizuta Chow's has worked tirelessly to support the community during this rough time. Now, we here at the network want to help show our appreciation for an establishment that has proven what it means to be a neighbor in the 716. Recently, a GoFundMe was set up to try to raise money to help Mizuta Chow's pay employees, bills, and ensure that when it's safe to, they can open their doors to the good people of Buffalo and Western New York. I know things are rough everywhere, but if you are able to, please consider donating to the Mizuta Chow's Relief Fund on GoFundMe. Every bit helps. You can also find a link at bicbp-radio.com. Thanks for listening and supporting the network. Now on with your show. Welcome back to another episode of Vinyl Divers. I am your host, Anthony Mullen, and welcome back. What is up? What is up? Uh, it's been some exciting. I'm trying to make it as exciting as I can the past couple of weeks and days. It seems now that I've been dropping some episodes left and right. I've been trying to do some extra fun content. We went over and dug into the bin of 45s the other day, and I have a treat for you guys for today. Because after all the hype from last week, how could I build up to that? How can I really follow it up? I did some searching. I did some reaching out. And I've got a special one for you. So now a lot of you guys know that I do love ska. I love punk rock. I have recently become plant-based as much as I can. I did a small stunt of being true vegan. And I'm going to tell you, the guest I have for you today is highlights all of that and has a new podcast as well. So we're going to talk about some music. We're going to talk about our podcast. And hopefully it's going to be a great time. Actually, not hopefully. I know it's going to be a great time because we are blessed today with the saxophone player, Jeff the Girl, also known as Leonor Ortega Till from Five Iron Frenzy. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, definitely. Very cool to be here. Uh, so first off, I have to ask, just, just to get out of the air, just to get it mm -hmm. out of the bag. Jeff, the girl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> where, where does this name come from? For my divers that don't know, and I've done right. some research into some five iron, but from you, where, where does it all come from? In my junior high days, um, 
I think probably the early, early 90s, I went to a church camp and I was such a tomboy that in a play, one of those sketches, they had me play a boy with a backwards baseball cap and just large vision streetwear t-shirt. And I was such a tomboy that people started calling me Jeff to be in the play. That was the character's name. And they said, it just fits you. You're just getting Jeff. And so I started going by Jeff the girl and it really did stick. And I actually didn't mind it for a long time. I I'll say it's one of the things that did stick out to me when I uh, when Five Iron did come onto my radar. I was kind of like, oh, band members, Jeff the girl. Wait, hold on, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> right. And it took me actually a little bit to figure out. Oh, wait, that's not her actual name. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's funny too because my real name Leonor. It's the Spanish version of Eleanor, and a lot of people mispronounce it. So Jeff was actually kind of easier. Oh well, I mean, it works out either way. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's kind of weird calling you Leonor and referring to you as Leonor yep. because I've always <laughs> referred to you as Jeff the girl whenever right, I've talked right. about you or whenever I've talked about the band and mm-hmm. it's kind of kind of cool now that you know it's like that uh you know like superhero personality the ska right. player Jeff the girl and then you have the podcaster Leonor and the mom Leonor and, and the wife the Leonor and, yeah <laughs> I think it'd be a little more uncomfortable for my husband to call me Jeff so yeah it doesn't doesn't happen <laughs> uh just curious, do you get called? Do you get called Jeff by anyone now, other than just, I guess, fans or? Yeah, yeah fans, I do, and then um, old promoters, some people from church that knew me back then, and then honestly, like if anybody wants me to sign anything, like a CD or a T-shirt, I still sign Jeff the Girl because it feels when I write Leonor, it feels like I'm doing like my signature. So I still, yeah, I still will write Jeff the Girl. Oh, well, that's cool. It's it's fun mm-hmm. little. That's uh, neat. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So we were talking, you, you mentioned a little bit about junior high and I, in my research, I found out, I think it was in your college years is where five iron started to come to be, right? Kind of. Um, it or, was my senior year in high school when I joined. So that was 95 and I got asked to be in the band kind of loosely, like it was kind of jokey, but kind of serious. Like Reese was like, I've always wanted to be in a band with a girl. And some of the other guys were like, we're, we're a metal band, but we're starting a ska project. And Micah, who's in Five Iron Frenzy, is my second cousin. And he knew I played saxophone. And so they were going to do a spinoff ska thing. And they said, be in our band. Like, no, you know, no seriousness. And I was like, okay, also no seriousness. And then every weekend while I was in high school, I would drive up to Denver and practice and pretty much just join the band very simply like that. So that's cool. Now, before before Five Iron and before you started playing sax with them, were you in any other bands prior Oh, or man. did you play I don't any get other? To talk ab- yeah, I don't get to talk about oh, this let- enough. All right, then let's do this. I had tried to be in a punk band because I had my mohawk going. I was such a punk girl. And I was in a band. I was a singer in a band called Arson the Arson. I so like if you it. Get that, our son the Arson, right? Although Scott always gives me a hard time because he says it should be Arson the Arsonist. But that sounds dumb. No, I like Arson the Arson. Play on words. Right. I like it. So we only played like five shows and we played uh, the VFW. We played some Battle of the Bands. We played our guitar player's dad's divorce party, (laughs) which is a bonfire where we ended up opening and ending with um, uh, knocking on heaven's door. (laughs) Great, great, great way to kill that one. The VFW show was the best because I decided it would be super punk rock to bite the heads off of those marshmallow peeps. And then throw the peeps in the crowd like Ozzy. Oh man, it was it was a really bad, 
bad run at being in a in a punk band. So yeah, that's the only band that I kind of tried to be in before Five Iron. Now, what you just sang in that band? Yeah. All right. I was very dramatic. Okay, that's all good. <laughs> front front woman taken head yeah. of the stage. Uh, now, how yeah. did how did you end up playing saxophone from that? So if not. Now, in my school, in high school, a lot of the uh, bandies and the band kids, we all, it was very obvious that a lot of us did like ska. Was that kind of right. the same for you that you already had this interest in ska or were you just no. the person that played a saxophone? Yeah, I grew up in the countryside. So the town where I grew up in had like 800 people and you either listen to rap or you listen to country and you don't listen to quote unquote alternative. Like in the 90s, that was called a new waiver because there was no new wave was weird punk was weird definitely didn't hear ska the first time i heard ska i was 15 and i heard skank and pickle but in high school nobody knew what that was so um yeah until i joined fire iron i didn't know about the whole ska ska world and so when i joined fire iron i the funniest thing is for me that first year being in the band we opened for pie tasters less than jake mu330 we opened for all these big bands that I'd never heard of. So my first time ever hearing of them, you know, Squirrel Nut Zippers, all these oh. bands, was playing with them. So that was kind of cool for me. That's really cool. Now, looking back now, I mean, did any, did, did you ever end up playing and doing any like really big shows after that first year where that you started opening for a lot of those? Or by then was Five Iron starting to kick off and you guys were now kind of coming into your own? Uh, there's some of those bands that are always still deer in headlights for me. Like when we went on Warp Tour, that was in 2002. Um, being on the road with uh, Bad Religion, that I couldn't get the nerves to talk to them. Like some of those bands. Um, 1998, we did Ska Against Racism. And that was, let's see if I can list them all. I might miss some, but it was Toasters, Blue Meanies, and ME330 was on some on most of it. Kamuri from Japan. Okay. Um Mustard Plug was on some of it. And it just, that was like a big party. And I was the only female musician out of 36 musicians. So it was a little intimidating in the beginning, but not because of the musicianship, more because there's just a lot of dudes. And I tend to like have to remember who all these guys are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I never really felt super overwhelmed by meeting musicians. Andrew W.K., Again, that was one on Warp Tour that I was like, oh, Andrew W.K., but very soon he kind of headbanged his hair into me and I thought, you know, oh, we could be long lost friends, right? Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Now with uh, Five Iron, oh, I mean, you guys really broke it into the Scott. You guys really broke that Christian ska scene in because up until the point of me hearing Five Iron, I didn't know Christian ska existed. I Neither a- did I. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. I mean, who knows? And well, I, the first time, yeah, someone played a CD for me, and I was like, there's another Christian ska band, and it was Super Tones. Very good. And so we had kind of, in our, without talking to them, we had like a little race of like, who's going to get signed first, right? Mm-hmm. Now, w- was there a lot of Christian rock bands that were popular and prevalent to you at the time? As far as, as far as, because to me, Christian rock really didn't come on my radar until later high school, and even then... I didn't, I didn't notice how big of a community and how big of a genre it really was. And I don't right. know if that's so been, because it was later yeah. 2000s by then for me. Totally. And that's when it, when I think the alternative punk, Christian, ska, punk, metal, goth, all that started to be more upfront. I didn't grow up with Christian music. So I had heard about Amy Grant. I had heard about Carmen. Um, 
that all I knew? That might've been all I knew. Mm -hmm. So until I joined the band, I didn't know this whole world. I didn't know Christian metal. Um, but when I met the guys in five iron, it was fascinating because most of them were in Christian metal. So like tourniquet, vengeance, rising striper, all crucified Christian punk. They knew about all that stuff and they, they were into it. They, didn't they listen to some more obscure stuff too but until we started playing like cornerstone festival and some of those festivals um we all kind of as far as christian bands all rose up at the same time you know like mxpx pod reliant k is a little younger than us supertones Mm -hmm. all of us but before then it was more like folk music and pop music as far as christian music from what i know all right now what kind of music did you end up growing up with other than um i I know you said rap and country is really what was big in your area so right. you were you came up and ended up being a punk kid. So where did you find punk in the right. middle of country and rap in the middle of the in the middle of a eight hundred count town? Right. So when I grew up, I grew up with Tejano music and Mexicano music because I'm Mexican American. Okay. So the music I it's like polka. <laughs> All right. It's like glorified uh, and Selena, of course, and. Freddie Fender and Flaco Jimenez, all like Santana's a big deal, right? Where I grew up. All right. So there's that. And then my dad was really into Motown, really into Motown. And growing up, we had a music room in my house and we had trumpets, saxophone, keyboards. And my dad and I would just rock out and we'd even choreograph like to Stevie Wonder. Um, yeah. Otis Redding, Sam Cooke, all that kind of stuff. But when I was 15, I was at a Denny's late at night probably playing D&D with some other kids, uh, smoking cloves and drinking coffee. And I went to go to the bathroom and this guy with a mohawk was like, I, I was, yeah, I was 16. And he was, at the time, I didn't know he was 21. And he's like, you know, smoking and sitting there with his mohawk and spikes. And he said, hey, what do you think about flag burning? And I was intrigued. And I sat down next to him and that guy changed my life. Like overnight, like within a month, I had a green mohawk, Doc Martens, and he had introduced me to old school offspring. Green Day had Kerplunk out. Um, he introduced me to the Freeze, Vex, um, all kinds of the Clash, all kinds of pretty much no effects, all that stuff like overnight. And I loved it. And I I was in heaven. Now, do you think you would have ended up going to ska had that had that inner uh, that interjection ever happen? Because that's a good question. Because I don't know. That that one it seems to me like that one moment right there could have uh was a pivotal turn for Five Iron possibly in hindsight. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I think me finding punk was kind of like um I was already feeling angsty and being, you know, Mexican American and female, I was already feeling um just this pull towards towards social justice and politics about, you know, caring about people, Cesar Chavez, the rights. My mom was a social worker. Um, seeing the have and the have-nots. And so punk really defined that for me. Now, what Scott took it to the next level was adding joy. And that piece for me, the joy in the ska was the Christian connection because I was punk and I was angsty, but finding Christian punk added the dance, added the happiness, added the optimism. And so you still have the, in Five Iron Music, you find this too. It's still like fight the system, but it's like, and smile while you're doing it. Exactly. So I'll say that's one thing that I... Uh, I'll just open it up right here. I'll say that I personally, I don't, uh, I'm not a big religious person. I used to have at one point, I will say that and not even just to like, Oh, because of five iron, but there's a point that it came to me and I was listening to five iron and five irons music helped me through a lot. 
mm-hmm. then there's a point that I kind of just was like, all right, this is definitely not truly me, but I still appreciate <laughs> the yeah. happiness that from the Christian pop music, but then also that ska to me mm-hmm. is you never get a mean face. Even at those local small dive bar shows, I feel that you, you get the one drunk in the corner that's just that's kind of like not ha- not feeling the atmosphere. Even he still is in a good place, I feel. like Everyone's mm-hmm. always such a happy individual at a ska show. So it's cool to hear that, you know, that's how you ended up coming to it. It's also a good it's a good time. It, it really just the genre makes you want to dance, I feel, you know, and I yeah, love that. Like- this this weekend marks the um, two year and one year anniversary of Back to the Beach Festival. Uh, those were huge. They were in Southern California um, for the past two years. I was there. I was working on the documentary Pick It Up. I don't know if you saw that the Scott documentary. Oh, I, I saw it released. I have not been able to uh, catch it yet, but I plan to because I I I, I really want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my job was um, because I knew the producer. My job was to convince the band members that it was legit. And so we had rented a, um, an Airbnb and we just had a van and I'd go up to the guys and other bands and be like, yeah, this is actually a real movie. You should come with me in this scary van and come to the Airbnb and answer questions. And so um, that's kind of what I was doing. But yeah, you're right that when I went to Back to the Beach, it had been so many years since I'd been to a massive ska show and seeing multi-generations of all kinds of people dancing and having fun and yeah, there's some angsty songs, but you're still smiling. And mm-hmm. so I think that that's the, what the genre did for the scene was take um, the grunge era, which was happening, you know, and just kind of put a spin on it. Like, we're still not happy. Well, we're still not happy with the status quo, but we're happy as people. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how, how did you find that that punk's de angst and you end up turning it into a, put you put it into, you put it into saxophone and it's phenomenal, like, if when you guys start playing it's crazy if yeah. i've only been able to see you guys once and i've seen videos and anytime i see anyone says that your, your guys shows are just filled with antics laughter mm-hmm. high energy mm-hmm. i'll say the songwriting itself doesn't push heavy christian uh he- heavy 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 christian music or I don't right. Know, not, not right lyrics uh right words Th- that christian meaning like the yes there are songs that are spiritual and have mm-hmm. good intention but then you guys do have a great blend of just we're having fun. And these are just some yeah. antics like my evil plan to save the world, right. which is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, what is it like in the in the music scene where you're kind of seen as a ska band, but you're also a Christian ska band. And then on top of it, I've seen I've seen I've like seen other uh, a notable Christian uh, metal band I've seen is for today and it seems like almost every single song they have is very very scripture very uh mm-hmm. faith heavy-handed yes yeah. but your guys music is not so what is it like in the in the in the community when you guys go playing yeah so it was interesting because we decided in the beginning in 95 when we created a band we were what I would say is missional and by that I mean um we knew that we had a message of hope that we wanted to share and not only that, but every tour was going to have a benevolence. So we did Spam Jam, where we, you could come and bring food. We did Pants Across America, where people brought pants. Uh, socks, we did a sock puppet tour, where people brought socks. And then our last tour was Kenya Spare a Dollar, where we raised over um, $60,000 for a Kenyan orphanage. So um, there was 
the, the missional thing was happening there. But as we grew, we realized we weren't Christian enough for the Christian kids and we weren't, you know, secular or punk enough for the, for the punk kids. So we just got used to being kind of weird. Like for instance, our first song ever in our first album that we released is called The Old West. And it's about manifest destiny. And one of the lines says, let's rape and kill and steal. And that was the first album we put out, basically bashing manifest destiny saying, you can't take land from other people in God's name. It's not right. And yeah, was that gonna be put in Christian bookstores? Um, is that, whose radar is that on? And then later on Scott Against Racism tour, it was always so funny because the last night of the tour, by the way, we were pretty legalistic. We didn't drink any alcohol on that tour at all. And um, they had made little shot glasses. And so they had eight of them with uh, milk for us, you know, and kind of laughing at us, but all in good fun, right? So there always was this weird vibe of like, you don't really fit in anywhere. And, and that's okay. We still don't, you know, we still don't, but we just find our own little niche. And in a weird way, I think we found our fan base was our niche. And that's why they like us and identify with us because they're people that put their efforts towards things and they're not afraid to live full hilt and to live in the world, but they may have their Christianity, you know, somewhere in there deep in their value system. And so that might be part of their story too. And so people get us, even though we're a little quirky and a little weird. Very nice. I, I really like that. And thank you. It's a great, great uh, breakdown of how you guys really do kind of have that jack of all trades to trait where you appeal to everyone. You don't have everything for for one group, but you kind of dabble in it all. That I think for one being a ska band, you kind of break into that whole, you can kind of be played across punk and rock and alternative pop music, but also right. you're, you got the Christian side where if you have someone that, that, I know I have friends that are devote, just all they listen to is Christian rock. They just make the choice right. not to listen to anything else. And there is a friend that I had back in school that I was like, you ever heard of Five Iron Frenzy? And they're like, no. I go, check them out. Became yeah, a fan. It go. was like- cool it was just one of those that because you had that religious tie to it it opened mm -hmm. up the door for ska to people that i don't think would normally be introduced to ska i think people don't also realize with a ska band you, we have eight people so mm -hmm. even in the beginning when we first joined when you think of us religiously we had um pentecostals we had presbyterians we had calvinists we had uh legalistic church of christ we had all different kinds of people from different backgrounds religiously and then also across the spectrum we have republicans democrats socialists libertarians <laughs> and then we just have people who don't care about politics at all so we have everything it's like when you're a ska band and you're creating a lyric and a message it has to fit everybody so that what happens is the message of love and non-judgment rises to the top because it's the one thing we can all agree on Exactly. And that's how you get to that sweet spot. The sweet spot is making sure the message can cross boundaries. And you may have a conviction, but you need to, to present it in a way that not only is finger pointing about what's wrong in the system, but looking inward and looking at a mirror and saying, and this is what's wrong with me. And this is personally how I contribute to the issues. Very nice. That I, I think you, I think you nailed it there. I think it's, I think that's awesome that, you definitely can feel that come through with the lyrics, come through with your guys' message, your meetings. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I've seen, I've been looking at and watching some other interviews I've seen, and it is that very much a. We just want to put out something good quality. We want to put out what we mean and what we intend right. to, 
And mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people do have a lot of respect. There are certain bands that they feel sell out. Hmm. And I, I, you guys have a song about the handbook for the sellout, but I feel like you guys never really sold out. I mean, it wasn't. I think you, we would have if somebody big wanted to sign us. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I generally, maybe, who knows? But who I'll tell knows? you from what. Who knows what selling out is? I mean, it, yeah, what is selling out? Is selling out being able to get your message to more people? Or selling out right. playing what someone else wants you to play? Right. No? Yeah, I agree. The sellout concept is more created by the fans than the bands. Mm-hmm. And I definitely feel that your music, it didn't sell out. It's always, everything I've listened to, It's the sounds evolved and changed. It was some more, it definitely became more alternative, if, uh, more of the newer stuff. I'll say mm-hmm. one of my favorites is uh, Every New Day, um, our last album ever. Uh-huh. Real quick. Our newest album ever. Our newest album ever. I was yeah. that was uh my actually that was my introduction to Five Iron. That was the wow. album I listened to and I like it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. And I could even say like from the beginning where I've listened to your guys' earlier stuff to um <clears throat> I was listening to it uh Proof That Youth the uh, live album, uh Proof That Youth are Revolting. Right. And it's fun <laughs> and exciting. And then even some of the newer stuff is good. And then even if we fast track all the way up to the vinyl with uh, the release of Engine of a Million Plots with the mm-hmm. after the hiatus is that you guys still come back after was it eight years, 10 years or eight years, nine years, nine years. <laughs> I was in the middle uh, nine year hiatus and you guys right. drop a phenomenal new album. Crazy, cool, awesome, like mm-hmm. hand drawn uh, artwork. You guys press it on vinyl. So so. Right, you're a vinyl guy. I, I want to say a couple things you might find interesting. Let me see. What's up? The first thing I think you might find interesting is that the very first product we ever put out for sale was a 7-inch. I did see this. It was it was called It's Funny But Not Very Creative. We printed 500 of them in 1995. So maybe it was 96. We those, found a guy. What? Are any of those floating around still? Yeah, but I don't know where. I have two of them. They go for about $500. I don't know why. I don't know why. Don't ask me. Because we couldn't sell them to save our lives. Back in the festi- at the festival at Cornerstone, we would sell them for five bucks a pop. And if someone would buy it, I would give them an interpretive dance for free. <laughs> that that we, alone. We had to sell them. We needed to sell them for our, our money to... Uh, to pay for the van gas to get back to Colorado. Now, how did you guys end up putting out most ska bands? Very rarely do you ever see a vinyl put out first. Like That's what's weird. I think we met some guy or heard about some guy in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that was pressing vinyl. So our first ever thing we put out was with him. And then later we did another seven inch called Brad's Not Dead. And we, again, another seven inch that we put out. So just random. I thought you'd find that interesting. And then the third little seven inch we put out was with Mike Park with um, Asian Man Records. So that was more legit. You know? Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I was trying to do some, uh, I was looking through your discography and I don't know how I missed the last one with uh, Asian Man. Because I was confused uh, looking over. I saw that you guys had released the uh, documentary, I think, through Asian Man. Yeah, we did that with him too. Mm-hmm. And I was Mike like, Park. wait. When did when did Asian Man come into come into play here? Now, I gotta ask, how did uh <clears throat> I saw the break the breakup and it was more or less a intended hiatus? Did you guys ever intend to come back from this back no, in two thousand three? No, <laughs> no, no. Well, because we broke up on good terms. We mm-hmm. were we were family. You know, when you join a band when you're eighteen, and then we broke up. Um, 
I think I was at that point 24. And that had been, you know, my whole adult life. And that's, you know, we lived in a school bus, we lived in one band house, and then slowly moved to another band house. So we all lived together. We started a church called Scum of the Earth Church in Denver, Colorado. Um, everybody had mostly gotten married by the time we broke up. I wasn't married, but I was about to be. Um, it was time we all wanted to try something new and do something new in, in our lives. So we were broken up for nine years and when we got back together it was a shock to all of us I think it was just we it's almost like a miracle like you take eight people and one guy Keith didn't want to be in the band again and that's okay so Scott who had left our band came back in our band as a bass player and our his replacement came in on guitar and so it was cool because he was in a band with his replacement now oh that's cool yeah and so it's been amazing. It's been surreal. The first album we made back, you said, you know, we put it out on vinyl. If anything were to be called sellout, I feel like people could give us a hard time for some of that production only because back in the day, we never did cut and paste. Cut and paste didn't exist, you know, in the 90s. You didn't, mm -hmm. you know, you didn't auto tune everything. Things didn't work out that way. But I don't care about all of those, you know, bells and whistles that are on the new album because it sounds so amazing. Like it, the sound is just huge. Oh yeah, it, it's. I mean, there's to to take nothing away from the previous albums. <clears throat> I it's kind of mm -hmm. like it, there's an authenticity to it, and then this right. is like we've matured now. We have the time, we have the money, we have the right. ability. We're not living running out of a out of a bus anymore. Right. We're gonna we're going to put this out again. Right. Like you didn't, mm -hmm. you you guys didn't have to do this too, and yet you guys still did. And when you did, you brought top tier. So if anyone was to call you guys sellouts, then I, I don't like that. Like that shouldn't be it. You guys, like no, this this is like it's like your it's like all right. So it's like to some people, you guys are their favorite band. And back in right. high school, I had a friend that you guys were their you Five Hundred Frenzy was his real big fish. Right, right. And I actually remember. Uh, he, he it is when I first heard about Five Iron is that I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go home and go look them up and download their music and I'm going to have to I have to listen to them. And mm -hmm. I remember Googling Five Iron Frenzy and it said uh, new song or new tour coming. Right. So I messaged him and I just found out about them and he thought you guys had he knew you guys had broken up. Right. And I'm like, you know, they're coming on tour, right? He's like, no, you don't mess with me. Don't lie to me. And I'm like, <laughs> go to their website because it says they are and that's where it just blew up everything and that's where we started listening to it heavy and we ended up coming yeah. down for the show and i'll tell you he was so excited when that when this record came out that he ordered both of them and i'm pretty sure he has his framed on his wall wow like, yeah like he, he loved it i'm pretty i think he got the pink <laughs> vinyl yeah um so speaking of the vinyl real quick i just got to ask a quick question i've actually have kind of tried to keep this as intact as i can since i since i got it there it is yeah so, Did Reese do that? I, is that what the R is for up on the top? I don't know. There's a I don't note. know. I don't know. I should know, but I don't know. I have no idea. I, I assumed it was either a 12 or an R. And I'm like, well, if it's an R, it probably means that Reese packaged it. But I don't Maybe. know. I don't know. I don't know what it means. That right. is really cryptic. It's one of those like, <laughs> oh, man, this. if I'm ever going to get an answer, this is the time to ask it. Cause... I don't know the answer, though. That's another problem about being a ska band is oftentimes there's a bunch of information and we don't keep track of it very well. <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask about coming up with it, uh, not even about writing for all of this album, but more or less the intermittent time between the hiatuses. How was writing music? Did you guys 
all kind of collectively right throughout the years together, like with you and Reese and the rest of the band? Or was it more like no. we're coming back it was, together? I wonder what you said, like when you said your friend got super excited, it was like that, but for us. So Scott, we had a barbecue in my backyard. And by this time, a lot of us have kids. So I had two little kids. Scott had his kids. It was Micah's birthday. Dennis came with his kids. Just a backyard barbecue. We're hanging out, having some beers and eating. And uh, Scott said, you know, I've been writing new songs and I would love to hear you guys on it. And my eyeballs about popped out of my head. And so did Micah. And we're like, don't joke, dude. That is so not funny. No way. Like almost like winning the lottery, but not really wanting to believe it because it's like, don't say that. And he's like, no, I really, I've been writing a lot of punk stuff and ska stuff again. And we're like, oh man, what if? And then um, long story short, when we started talking about it, it was like, Scott, right off the bat, he's an amazing, prolific songwriter. Mm -hmm. And so he just had a bunch of songs and Sonny started writing and Micah started writing and Reese was just pulling out lyrics and they were amazing, like really good stuff. A lot of new subjects and, and more subjects, I don't want to say dark, but again, like after living in a school bus and living in a band house and kind of having a cush life and then now nine years of having spouses and kids and having to work the grind in a nine to five kind of job for most of us, that more adult kind of theme is what drove some of this. And then not only that, but two of our band members don't identify as Christians anymore. Mm -hmm. And so we decided we still want to talk about hope. We still want to talk about God. They were very respectful and said, you know, we don't believe this, but you guys do and we're family and we still want to all work together. And so that also was some of the premise for these songs about hope and living bigger and thinking that we still are family and that no matter what, we're still going to do this. So the themes were way more mature uh, lyrically on the new album. I'll say uh, it, it definitely shows. Mm -hmm. And I I'm so excited and glad that you guys ended up coming together and just what could have been that that could have been to nothing that could have just fell right. off to the floor and just oh i played i i was writing some songs again or there was a chance that you know he could have not said that and who knows where yeah. we where, where we'd all <laughs> yeah. be right now but right. the things that came into play to make it happen that you guys put out a new album you guys shocked the world with fans because no one saw this coming you guys included i feel right and I if if only someone could have some video footage of your guys kind of like igniting the fire again. I wish I wish there could someone could have that moment captured. I I hope someone does somewhere. The um, thing I wish that I had captured is when we put out our Kickstarter. Um, I had mentioned the idea of a Kickstarter to the guys, and they uh, had kind of heard of it, but it was a newer idea. Mm -hmm. And so we argued about not argued, but we we're like, how much do we ask for? We don't want to look stingy, but it's really going to cost a lot of money to make an album. So we we're like, well, let's go big. Let's ask for 30,000 and we're going to put the max, which is two months to raise this money. Mm -hmm. And you know, with Kickstarter, if you don't raise it, you don't get it. And so we asked 60 days, $30,000. And I remember being at home when we put that out. And every time I hit refresh on my computer, the amount went up about 5,000 bucks to where we raised it in less than 60 minutes. And then, and then we kept, we kept it going and we raised, I, I want to say over $220,000. Like we raised, we were in the New York times for at that time being the band that raised the most money. And it was insane. I, 
I think that goes to show the kind of following and that people do. People want to hear your music. And I'm going to tell you, it may take another Kickstarter to get to get. You guys put another Kickstarter out there. You guys may get another 200,000 of people for music. You will. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'll look into that. <laughs> you know, it's no. been a long time since we put out that album. It was like since 2011 since mm-hmm. we put out that album. Well, it's another nine years, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's, and guess it's what due. else? You'll like this too, being the vinyl guy. We, um, I worked with, I don't know if you're familiar with Mike Kondo. He's with Small, Medium, Large, Extra Large Vinyl in no. Tennessee. Anyway, he... um. We reached out to him and we have remastered our old albums for vinyl. And now we've put out, let's see, I know we did Upbeats and Beatdowns, our newest album ever, all of the hype we did. And we just did the EP, Quantity is Job One. So he's going consecutively. But the cool thing is they're all totally remastered for vinyl, which is amazing. That's awesome. Have they started? Have they been starting to release yet? I I haven't noticed. Yeah. I didn't see them. Yeah, um, they've sold. In the beginning, when he puts one out, he'll do a special color, like maybe you know three hundred of each special color. So those are all gone. But we're still working through all of the albums. So um, he, in fact, he has to do a second pressing, I think, of our newest album ever because that one sold out. We'll definitely have to look at that then. Very for, fun for sure. Very, it makes me happy because knowing how. I mean, in the beginning, we were on a label that had never done recorded a ska band and God bless Masaki, our producer, but this was all new. And so for the sound, it was okay for what it was, but now, you know, remastered for vinyl, it's above and beyond. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like how you want it to sound. Now, before when, uh, cause you went into the little vinyl over here before, when you guys first started, did you ever anticipate or ever expect, uh, before you even saw the kind of the conclusion coming to the band? Mm-hmm. I kind of have this feeling like everyone kind of shoots for the stars. Did you ever anticipate or want to see or expect vinyl, five iron on vinyl? Other than just like that seven inch or the couple there, did you ever expect like, no, no we're going to put them out? It wasn't really big back in the day. It really wasn't big. So no, not really. It just the seven inches were kind of cool when we had made those. But when the idea, the only reason I wanted to do and the only reason I pursued vinyl was the concept of remastering. Mm-hmm. That's right. what made me excited because people had said, wow, I really like this album, but I wish the horns were higher or wow, I really like this album. Um, but you know, this and that about production and, you know, looking back, I don't have any regrets about going with Masaki. He's amazing. And he put up with our crap a lot and he let us stay at his house and he's an amazing producer, but um, yeah, having the opportunity to have him remastered feels really awesome. Cool. I- I'm glad I, Sorry that I missed the drop on that. I wish I would have uh, seen them sooner, but I'll have to make sure to head over there now. I mean, real quick. I'm well, just gonna it's th- a big surprise to you. <laughs> well, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna do a call out to all the divers and Mullenites out there. Listen, you guys heard it from her. If you're able to, you know, whatever you guys' plans are with a stimulus check, I get it. But y'all, right. most of you just got a stimulus check, so go get some new vinyl if you can. Not only that, the vinyl, small, medium, large, extra large, because of quarantine. Five iron vinyl, from what I hear, is on sale. <laughs> oh, I, so it's a good time. There, perfect time. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's awesome. I have an orange vinyl over here. I'm gonna have to add some more to the collection, and yeah. I can't wait to see what new music comes out from you. I know you guys are currently uh, currently keeping things under wrap, so we can't really push into there. But what I did <laughs> see that you just did start uh, right. back in October. No. September I saw it start is that you have started a podcast so I have. 
how long have you wanted the podcast for? Was this like a whim of the whim, <gasps> like a whim of the spur of the moment whim, or have you been planning and like wanting no. to? It's been torture. It's so hard because when you're a guest on a podcast, it's amazing. It's easy. You open your computer and wonderful people ask you questions. And I love to talk and I have the gift of gab and there's so many subjects to talk about. And I've been on, you know, so many podcasts as a guest that people kept saying, well, why don't you do one? And the back end is really hard. I feel it's a learning curve because you have to get your website. I got a website. Then you get your Libsyn. Then you have to learn the editing. Then you get your software. Then you, you know, honestly, the computer stuff, and I'm, you know, I'll be 44 this year. I'm not young and I'm not old. So I'm like right in the middle of anxiety with all this computer stuff. Um, but I've had a lot of people help me. And honestly, the reason I wanted to do a podcast is because sometimes you need a little accountability to change habits in your life. And the podcast is called Too Punk to Be a Hippie. And there's a lot of things in my life that I want to do that will help the earth, small things. But you can talk about it and talk about it, but until you put it out there, you may not do it. So I knew for me, unless I had accountability with this built-in audience of a podcast, I might not garden or compost or look into alternative um, you know, paints or mattresses or fluoride and water or vitamins or all these crazy things that as a parent and as a mom and as a uh, consumer you should look into so this is helping me get off my butt and do something i think it's awesome i actually uh i love listening to your show oh, uh, i'll you. let you know as a fan i don't know if you've i don't know if you've ever been able to talk to a fan or to have feedback so i would no, love to I let you know because this is very new <laughs> i'll tell you this one right off the bat is that okay. no matter what quality or the echo in your room or anything about that don't right. mind that don't mind it your show sounds awesome yeah. Every show has their own aesthetic. Some people sound as if they have the means that they're able to be in a studio. Other people, they record uh, with their computer at home and there's a little bit of an echo and it's fine. I'm going to tell you, don't let that. That was huge for me because I live in a concrete house, which honestly, it's my dream house. It has concrete floors. It looks like a factory. I live in my dream house, but it sounds terrible. (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, you get you you do what you can for that, but I tell you, as far as your content, I I honestly like listening to your show. It's really fun, and the fact that you 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 are you're, are you currently you're not currently vegetarian, correct? Or are no, you? I was from age sixteen to thirty one. All right, so you're not currently vegetarian, but you definitely push a lot of the same beliefs, and uh, as far as environmentally, it sounds mm-hmm. as right. I do, and I really like listening to it because it's kind of like, oh, cool, like. <laughs> Jeff, the girl from Five Iron Frenzy is also very environmentally <laughs> proactive and trying to like do better. And yeah. as I was listening, uh, listening to you talk about the composting uh, on the newer episode, on one of the newer episodes, I actually was messaging the girl from me like, hey, listen, composting, there's bags on this yeah. stuff because she's currently trying to do the same thing. She just wants she yeah. wants to start her own uh, compost pile in the backyard. Uh huh. So do I. I and, got mine going and I'm starting my seeds now and just doing things slowly like it's. Quarantine makes it a little bit hard because mm-hmm. I don't want to shop, but I had some seeds I found at home. And so I'm being very creative. <laughs> oh, nice. Now, one thing I do love about podcasting, and uh, I don't know if you want to tell me on yours, is that so you want to hold, you use it to hold yourself accountable. And that's kind of how I feel with vinyl divers. Uh, how, how long have you felt so strongly about the, uh, the environment and all of this? Is it always just kind of been brewing for recently or is it more been in recent years? Did anything happen or trigger that made you think, I need to change the my impact on the earth? 
Was there anything, a specific moment that made you kind of stir this change to start a podcast or has it always been there and now you just took foot in it? Yeah, I think that growing up, my mom always had a garden. My mom is New Mexican and so she's very, I call her, she's Mexican hippie. She's very close to the earth. Everything from drying tea leaves to um, big bonfires, just she lived very naturally, you know, not wearing any makeup, living very simply and beautifully. And so that was ingrained in me. And I grew up in the countryside. So that was ingrained in me. But having kids and especially my 12 year old daughter, a lot of the projects she works on in school are about um, getting styrofoam out of the school, getting recycling. Climate change is huge with our kids. They know all sorts of things, everything from contacting their politicians to doing what they can at home. And so it's just part of the conversation. And I was interested in the concept of too punk to be a hippie. It's interesting because I am angsty about a lot of things politically, and I'll put my voice and my energy towards that. But then the things that are in private to me are almost the most interesting. And that's what's interesting. And what I want to get is more punk rock guests, more musicians. And I want to ask them, tell me about your private life environmentally because i think a lot of people do things maybe they're vegetarians maybe they recycle maybe they compost maybe who knows what but i think more people have lifestyles that are very conscious and then there's never really a place to share that they always get to ask about their music but how often does someone ask fat mike do you recycle right <laughs> so to me that is super interesting i want to hear about people's environmental convictions ah i like that so it's so that's honestly a, an awesome idea for a podcast. That's an awesome uh, way to use a podcast because I feel like one thing that's awesome about this medium that we have, you know, if I go to a band and I go to a concert, I'm expecting to hear your music for the most right. part. That's why it's kind of fun yeah. when you get to see those little antics on stage that are like, oh, that's that's mm -hmm. not their music. And it's kind of little personality traits. And right. those are what fans identify with. But as a podcaster, you really are letting your fans and your followers into your personal life. And you're just like, I'm talking to you. I'm being open. And it's very more a uh, real and uncut take. Right. And it is definitely more vulnerable, I feel. And that was mm. part of my learning process. And the learning curve was getting over it because I don't have, I mean, maybe I do have a place where people can put comments, but the, I feel like podcasters, you could get, you know, you could get, a lot of people saying you're a hypocrite or you're wrong or your information is wrong or you talk a lot of crap about stuff, but are you doing it? Mm -hmm. That's a little intimidating. It can be, but I mean, it's kind of like with, I, I would, I can still use that towards music. I mean, people are going to, people like to hate regardless. It's kind of more or less how right. you take it. And that's with my, with my followers. And I just kind of like, I try to tell them, Hey, I'm going to be try and be consistent. And if I fall off yeah. on a week, it's kind of like, listen, my personal life, I have an, I've worked. This isn't the full-time job. And I like to believe that the listeners understand they, and they kind of get it, mm -hmm. but I don't know. I, I really think it's cool that you're looking at like the environmental side though, too. Cause that's one thing you definitely don't think of when you think punk, you think of fighting the government. You definitely think of like the, uh, you know, like the actual, like the government, like the fight the man. You, you right, definitely feel right. that more, but I right. never get to see, I heard uh, the term reference uh, gutter punk. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I've never heard that reference. So I'm assuming that's more of kind of like the environmental punk. <laughs> yeah, gutter punks are crusty punks. They're the ones. Um, so they even have festivals where they um, they used to call it summer camp. And they all go and learn about making ve vehicles into diesel. They dumpster dive. They live naturally. They live within their means. Um, Me Without You, those guys, a lot of 
them people they live very simply and huh. it's kind of like use what you have recycle everything you don't have to own a lot of clothes you don't have to own a lot of things at all that's gutter punk and most of them live in community houses and they receive day old goods from different restaurants so nothing goes to waste there's a lot of a lot of christian gutter punks actually oh so, so that's brand new to me so i never knew that there is this whole side to the punk community that wasn't just about the punk scene because i always pictured it as just music and the the uh, the fight against the government was kind of always a part of that that was with the music itself never thought of it in the environmental side but i'll say if you you look at some of the most devout followers that really will fight and even when they feel, even when you could say like you know what guess what you may be wrong they're going to defend you to their blue in their face because they're not going to be wrong are some punk heads right. They definitely oh, are. Yeah. So you put them up and be like, listen, you got to go clean the field, go to go take care of the nature. I mean, right. that's the, that is the, that's this, uh, the market that I would put at. Be like, listen, let's give them some correct education. Let's, let's make some changes happen. And it sounds like mm -hmm. the punks definitely really have the force that could do it. Oh yeah, definitely. There's been so many festivals where afterwards there's, you know, gutter punks are, you know, dumping the trash and looking for what can be recycled, what can be reused. They're not going to let anything go to waste. And and it's a good example of a part of society that maybe we don't put on a pedestal as much as we should. We need more people to think that way and think out of the box. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I was very graceful, gray, uh, graceful. I was very lucky to have my mom not have, currently have her. <laughs> very lucky to have my mom be the way she is and kind of, she raised me as very self-conscious of uh, always, like you shouldn't be hating on anyone. You shouldn't, you should right. never try to be wasteful if possible. Always try to mm -hmm. reuse and recycle. And I came from, I grew up in a very family where if I was going to get rid of my record player because I was getting a new one, I'm not right. going to throw the old one out. I'm going to find out who needs one and I'm not going to even right. charge you. I'm just, I'm going to pass it on to someone that can also use it in good. And mm -hmm. I, I feel like that was a very big part of my upbringing. My mom and my my family, very big into being environmentally friendly. My mom always had a gardens going. And I'm yep. so, a little, little disappointed myself that I didn't ever took an interest in it sooner or younger to try and be a part of that. Because I think it is awesome how you do talk about gardening with your kids and you want to have that, you want to have a figure in their life so they know what it's like to garden. Mm -hmm. and well, they know it's not it's, so late. I mean, I didn't start my first garden, I don't think, till I was... Well, maybe I was in my 30s and I failed. I fail a lot. That's the thing is every year you get a little bit better and you learn things. And it's just like anything else. But it's one of those weird skills that we feel like only the privileged can do. <laughs> like, why? Especially right now, we have the time. Like, oh, yeah. there's definitely time to to learn something new. Mm -hmm. So I definitely, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe I will try in uh, this season or next season if, if, I, if mm -hmm. my girlfriend's uh, garden's going good. Uh, she, her plan is to do a compost pile and then she wants to do zucchinis or cucumbers, yep. zucchinis yep. or cucumbers. I can't remember the two, but she wants to do a couple flowers around it to try and kind of uh, self-pollinate. She's trying to fight the urge of not use sprays, but yeah, she wants it to be right. natural. And then on top of it, how do I have the best, uh, the best, the best plant and have it succeed without being as wasteful? Because mm -hmm. I suggested possibly getting like a giant plastic table. And she's like, well, I'm trying not to do that. I would like a, a smaller, something more <laughs> closer to the end of the ground. I'm like, all right, I get it. So right. if everything goes well, maybe yeah. I will. Um, let me ask you, what, what are some of your favorite uh, vegetables to grow? Or what are your, some of your favorite things to grow in the garden? Yeah. So cucumber is one of my favorite things to grow. Okay. You grow those. My mom taught me to grow it in a mound. And then there's a moat around it. Um, 
And you do the same with tomatoes. You make it, do it on the ground with a moat around it so that the water stays in the moat for a while and then kind of drowns down to the roots. A lot of people get way too, um, they water too sparse. Like you're not thinking that the water has to go way down into the roots, right? So mm -hmm. that's a lot of watering. You sit there for five minutes and make sure the dirt is wet. My mom laughs. She says, that's just wetting the dirt. You have to get it down to the roots deep, right? Really deep. All right. Um, so zucchini, tomatoes, really good. Lettuce is very easy and will grow really fast. So if you want kale or lettuce, you can even grow that from seed super fast. will come up. Interesting. So that's cool. And then herbs, if you do like rosemary, smells amazing. Basil, you can grow it inside or outside and then just take some off and then keep it in a, um, just a little, a little bag like you would for sack lunch, like a little bag, like a paper okay. bag yeah. and roll it in there. And you have fresh herbs or dried herbs just to use on, on food. And it smells so good. Oh, well, there you heard those it. Are neat, those are easier things. Well, there you heard it. Divers. There's some, some, uh, gardening tips from <laughs> user friendly. <laughs> yeah. Some gardening tips for everyone out there. That's cool. Right. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Really, really appreciate the call in. Uh, I think we're wrapping up on time there. And I just want to say thank you so much, really, again, for spending your time and uh, being able to make it so that call in. I, I honestly didn't expect this. I was like, I'll throw a message out. We'll see what happens. And got a response yeah. back. So it was like, sweet. This is really fun. I've uh, cool. been low key kind of fan fanboying and kind of nervous all day, kind of getting ready. Be like, oh, man, I hope I don't mess up later. <laughs> You did okay. Um, Thanks for letting me talk about my band, Five Iron Frenzy, something I love. Talking about Too Pumped to Be a Hippie. Um, folks, please go check out the podcast. Give us some love. Get us some sharing. Get us some listening. And yes, keep your eyes out. Always keep your eyes out to Five Iron Frenzy because we are definitely not, you know, not done yet. Let's <laughs> see. We still have some energy and still have some things to talk about. Uh, so I mean, right there, you're already a natural podcaster. I was going to say, please push yourself. And you're just like, I'm going right into it. I got this. No, I can't help it. I, that's awesome. It's a natural. Uh, real quick before I sign off, I'm going to try and do a little, uh, I'd like to do a quick rand. I like to do a little uh, throw it at the guests when they call in so they don't have time to prepare for this as much. Okay. Just so it's a little on the spot questions. Okay. Um, first one, what's your, what is, it doesn't have to be your favorite as in the best, but what is one of your most favorite songs to play when you guys play out? And this can either be a popular song, like a fan favorite, or if it's a personal, like you love this song, but it never gets played. What's your favorite one? I love playing a new hope because the horns are really, really hard and really tight at the end and we have to get them perfect. And so when you play it perfectly, you feel so accomplished. All right. And let's say the next one is going to be what's, so you have a vinyl. Do you have, do you have vinyl of your own? No, just Five Iron Frenzies. Well, oh, yeah, no, I do. I, well, I have a band called The Fast Feeling. Oh, how did I miss that's, on this? That's okay. It's it's um, I sing in that band. It's New Wave. Oh, I see. We're gonna have to. Maybe we'll have so to set up a. Much. We don't have to add that. That's, <laughs> that's so a much. that's a different one. All right. Um. Okay. Well, then. Uh. Then let's say. How about what's one of the most influential bands growing up? Then what was the one that really kind of uh really stirred you to play how you played? I think that Wango Boingo and everything that Danny Elfman is super influential to Five Iron because it's fun, it's quirky, but it's also pretty technical. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much. Those are some great, uh, great answers, some great 
I never heard of those bands, so I kind of like those little, little deep cuts. Yeah. You know who Danny Elfman is, though, right? Oh, Danny Elf. Oh, okay. Danny Elfman. I've heard. I've heard Danny Elfman. Yes. He writes all the music. So check out Wingo Boingo. He writes Oingo all Boingo. the music for um, all the Tim Burton movies. Okay. Yes, I know Danny Elfman from them. Uh, his name definitely. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, I I know that. It's I'm bad with actual names, but I get that. But yeah. Oingo Boingo. Oh man, so good. What weird kind of, science. Have you ever heard of weird science? That's I've heard of weird science. Okay. All right. Okay. I'll, I'll make sure I check that out. Well, thank you so much cool. for calling in. Yeah, and nice to talk to you. Listen, divers, Molinites, if you have yet to do so, go follow Five Iron Frenzy. Go follow Two Bunk Two Punk to be a hippie. Listen to her podcast. Listen to the music. And Leonor, thank you so much. Yeah, it's good to be on your show. See ya. See ya.